Hello and welcome to the Making Theatre podcast. My name is Bruno Poet. And my name is James Farncombe and we are freelance lighting designers. This time we're talking to fight director and arranger Kate Waters, better known as Combat Kate. She started her career working the length and breadth of the UK in regional theatre and choreographs everything from sword fights to barroom brawls to battle scenes. She's worked at the National Theatre, the RSC, the Globe, in the West End, the Donmar, the Royal Court, the Royal Opera House, and also several times in New York. She also works regularly for television and has been involved in many a ruckus in the Rovers and countless conflicts on the cobbles of Coronation Street. She joined us online from her home in Wandsworth. Good morning, Kate, and welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Picture, if you will, uh, that we're at the Making Theatre Podcast Fantasy Party. Help yourself to nibbles. Um, There are a few faces that you don't know. And when asked, how do you describe what you do? Oh, that's a good question. Um, So people will say to me, so what do you do for a living? And I'll say, um, I'm a fight director. And that kind of, they look a little bit confused at first. So then I have to elaborate. And I sort of say to them, well, you know, if you see on stage a piece of violence or you see in a film a piece of violence, someone has to go in and choreograph that. And I'm that and I'm that person. And usually the next thing is, well, they sort of look at me because I'm female and small. So they they're wondering how I could possibly do something like that. And then usually they'll say, have you worked with anybody famous and have you worked with any films? So there we go. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the have you worked with anybody famous question comes up for, for all of us, I think, when we're talking about yeah. what we do. And I generally forget anyone famous I've ever worked <laughs> with when they ask that question. And also <laughs> the film thing. The theatre thing doesn't really click with most people, actually. It's film. Right. Uh, and I haven't done, you know, I haven't entered that world, really. I've done a lot of TV now, mm. but I've only done a few films. So, you know, they can either they'll either become really interested or the minute you say that you haven't really done anything on the, in, within the film industry, they, they switch off. So it's quite interesting how the public perceive our roles in theatre, actually. So let's start at the beginning. I mean, fight directing is not one of the jobs I remember being on the career list at school. So I mean, how did it come about from you? Was it something you always wanted to do? Well, no, I didn't know anything about it, to be honest. Um, I would say that from a really early age, I was always interested in performing and it's really weird because I had no access to theatre. I grew up in a small town, I'm from a single parent family, you know, very, very working class roots really, you know, just didn't have access to it. But when I moved to senior school, I had a really good drama teacher called Mrs Perry Mm. and I just absolutely loved the performing side uh, uh, of drama. I just loved it. Really what I wanted to be was an actress and I sort yeah. of knew that from a very, very early stage. And that was what I was going to be doing. That's what I really wanted to do. I mean, I danced, I did judo competitively. So I was always into the sort of physical side of things. I was a bit of a tomboy. I liked climbing trees. I wasn't particularly academic. So I was comfortable, you know, in a PE class, in a drama classroom. Mm. That's where my strengths lie. From there, I mean, I had a few diversions on the way to getting where I am. Um, I didn't just fall into fight direction. My stepfather wasn't very keen on me going into the performing arts because he didn't see it as a proper job. So when I left school, I sort of did all sorts of things and I applied to be a nurse. My mum was a nurse and I think I sort of got pushed into doing something that was proper. And I've never, ever told anybody in the industry this before that I was actually a nurse. You know, that was a sort of baptism fire. You did like, in those days, it wasn't a university university degree it was you leave home you go into school for six weeks and then you're on the wards after six weeks with real patients and I was 18 years old and I qualified and I worked for a year after qualifying I I enjoyed it and I was a pretty good nurse um, but it wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life I phoned my mum up one day after a really stressful shift and I said I don't think I want to do this for the rest of my life I want to follow what I wanted to do when I was eight years old and try and get into drama school and and be an actress. And by then my, um, my stepdad wasn't at home anymore. So um, she said, just come home. So I went back home and from there I applied to sort of mini drama school at 
Paul College in Paul, Jellicoe Theatre it was called, mm -hmm. and I did A-levels there, and I managed to get those A-levels, I worked so hard, and it was like a mini drama school, so you did everything plus the A-levels. Drama school really wasn't an option, it was too expensive, and I didn't have the you know the funds to to do that and I applied to go to Middlesex University and I got an unconditional offer there to do a new course and it was a BA in acting and mm -hmm. that is where I found stage combat. What was your contact with the sort of professional side of the business did you go and see shows did you have that sort of life or was it all about doing it rather than watching it? I grew up in a small town as I said and I didn't really yeah. have massive access to it but I was involved in amateur theatre. And I do remember going to see a production of Kess with my drama teacher. And, and I've since worked on that show a few times, actually. And I remember just being absolutely bowled over by it. I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. And I just thought, this is what I want to do. I want to be part of this. So your, your BA in acting led to to stage combat so yeah. tell us a bit about that so on the timetable um it's a stage <laughs> combat with wolf right. i thought blimey <laughs> what's that <laughs> <laughs> that's an exciting day at school yeah <laughs> i'm up for that yeah and we just had we you know like everybody doing a sort of course like this you throw yourself into all sorts of things and to be honest i found the course quite difficult and probably realized at that point that maybe acting wasn't for me but in the stage combat classes I felt completely free. I felt like this is where I belonged. And I also realized that I had quite a good outside eye. And I learned that like sometimes when I was watching other students, you know, do a monologue or something, I could see what they should be doing. Um, right. I didn't know at that point that that was directing. And then obviously in the stage combat classes, because it was physical and I'm, I'm so physical, that's I'm comfortable in my body. I know how to use my body. And I'm brave, you know, I'll do anything. Well, I was brave. I'm, bra I'm not as brave as I was because I'm older. <laughs> brave or foolhardy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I just felt that I could do it. And I felt alive in those classes. And I felt I had a space in those classes where I didn't feel like I had a space in, in some of the other classes. Yeah. And I felt confident. And I always remember when I did my first stage combat exam and one of my... Um, friends on the course and I think she'd been drinking before she came and watched the exam and she came and watched me do my unarmed and it had quite a lot of swearing in it she <laughs> came straight up after me and I'm sure I mean she was drunk um and she said oh my goodness you were brilliant Kate she said and you swear so well on stage <laughs> and, I thought, <laughs> and I thought to myself oh my mum will be so proud <laughs> Is the formal training good? Did that set you up? I wouldn't really say it set me up. Um, yeah. uh, it's, it's, a, it's a start. The performance exams don't make you a fight director. The performance exams are, uh, as an actor really, showing that you've got the, the ability and the skill to use a sword on stage. That doesn't make you a fight director. A fight director is a very, very different skill. Mm -hmm. and, so, uh, so after studying and um, passing the exam for swearing, um, how did you progress? Do you, is there such a thing as an assistant fight director? Do you sort of learn on the job or do you uh, start a small scale? How, do, how, does, how does your career progress? It's, that's such a great question. There's no school for fight directors and you do a lot of learning on the job. When I was in my second year, I decided to ring equity and I phoned them and I said, how do you become a fight director? Right. And there is an equity register of fight directors. And I thought, well, that's what I want to be on. So um, I got in touch with a guy in Wales who taught at the Welsh College of Music and Drama. And I went down and I assisted him yeah. for, for quite a while and um, started to learn how to teach. And yeah. I got all the qualifications I needed to teach stage combat. And I, I was in a fortunate position because he actually left and emigrated to Canada. And I sort of was in the right place at the right time. I got the job to teach there. You know, I really was at the start of my career and I was still learning. And the guy that I really sort of class as my mentor is Jonathan Howell, who teaches at Bristol Old Vic Theatre School. And I went to work with him while I was, you know, while I'd started teaching at Welsh College because I felt that there was still so much more for me to learn. I didn't realise, I didn't think that I was ready to just sort of be completely left on my own. 
and he really he was the guy that has taught me so much and everything that I even use today I still mm-hmm. um, use what he taught me and he was so generous with his time basically I kept turning up he never said you have to be here at a certain time blah 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 it was all done off my own back yeah um, and I just turned up you know and we had a really good working relationship and then from there while I was doing all the teaching and doing workshops and various other things learning my craft learning my skill Um, I did all the qualifications I needed to do to get on the equity register of fight directors, which is a bit like a, or was, or sort of still is a bit, a bit like an old gentleman's club. They make it very difficult for you to get on the register. To get into the inner circle kind of thing. Yeah, to get into the inner circle. Yeah. Um, So I had a fight on my hands there. Yeah, you have to get all these fencing qualifications and martial art qualifications. First aid, you have to have your equity card. You have to have your advanced certificate in stage combat. They kind of like you to be a teacher of stage combat. And then after you've done all of that, you have to go on an assessment course and you're working with real actors and you're, you're being set scenarios and choreographing mm-hmm. fights. And is that, are fight directors a sort of um, a community? Do you all sort of no. know each other? Is that an association of fight directors? Is it a sort of supportive group? No. no. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I have to be honest, there's a register of fight directors, and I do believe in the regulation of fight directors. I don't think that anybody should just be going out there and doing it. Yeah. But I would say that it's not holding enough weight in the industry. Nobody really knows about it. And we don't join as a group of people and discuss things. You're out there on your own and you're protecting yourself, really. I think it's a bit of a shame, to be honest, because so much could be shared, but it just isn't. Maybe I could change that. And I'm curious, because obviously you sort of talked your way into um, assisting and learning from, you know, obviously a very generous fight, established fight director. If a young person is listening to this and they're interested in becoming yeah. a fight director um, and sort of following in your footsteps, what yeah. would you recommend they do? I have taken people uh, into rehearsals with me to shadow me, watch me, assist mm. me. Um, I've had associates as well. It's, it's really, really hard. And I think, I think we can be more open and more generous with our time. Sometimes it's quite difficult to take people into rehearsals because everybody has to feel comfortable with that. Rehearsal rooms are very private rooms. I have strangers come in and watch. It's, it, it can be quite difficult for people. So, you know, I have to check with the director. I have to check with the actors. I have to make sure that the room is really comfortable. Also, I have mm. to be comfortable with it as well. So I wouldn't, nece- you know, when I'm going into the room for the first time, I, I don't necessarily want a stranger coming in with me. Do you know what I mean? Because that's the first time I'm meeting my actors and my director and I'm starting to work. So I need to feel the freedom to be able to work without having that, having a person sort of taking notes. But I have tried to be generous and, um, I, you know, people email me, I'll always email them back, I'll meet them. And I try to sort of advise them and say, start doing workshops, you know, get in touch with your local youth theatre and see if you can take workshops. Because I think the teaching of it is the best way of learning. Really. Right. Yeah, mm. that makes a lot of sense. Um, but once definitely- you're in, it's because it, it, it's applicable across several disciplines, isn't it? It's not just theatre. You can do opera and you can do film, you can do television. Um, and you work in all of these areas, though you say not so much film yet. Um, yeah. do, you have, do you have a preference? Well, I mean, my background is theatre and I've been lucky enough now to do quite a bit of TV and I work on, um, I work regularly on um, Coronation Street. Lots of fights in Coronation Street. Yeah, so many. (laughs) (laughs) It's a dangerous street to live on. (laughs) Many uh, rumble on the... On the cobbles. (laughs) I guess there must be a certain amount of freedom in choreographing something for the camera frame rather than for an audience in a in a you know theatre with sight lines and all kinds of different angles. Yeah, exactly. And I mean what I like about TV work, and especially when you're working on a sort of continuing drama like Coronation Street, it's quick. So there's (laughs) no time to be messing around. Um, there's not really a lot of negotiation. It's kind of you've really just got to get it on and do it. I mean, obviously I still choreograph it and obviously I have a responsibility to make sure that everything's safe. But I love the immediacy of it and I love Mm -hmm. the fact that we've got it in the camera we've got the take and I think that's going to look good and yeah, then you move on and you don't have to then reproduce it night after night that's... yeah whereas in theatre and don't get me wrong I love theatre and I love the the creativity of it and the development of a fight within theatre but 
sometimes to sustain that level of technique and skill and storytelling over a long run is really quite difficult. So sometimes the fight that I leave on press night is not the fight that I see four weeks later. Yeah, I find that quite disappointing. So for you guys, the lighting will always stay the same. The fight can sometimes... Pretty pretty much. So of course, for us as well, we rely on consistency in terms of where people stand on stage, for example. So if people sort of drift off their marks over time, then we still need to keep an eye on that because it can mean that someone's actually standing in the beautifully placed spotlight. They're standing in the dark doing a speech. But it's always an element of drift, isn't it? Drift is a good word. They lose their sharpness somehow exactly and it's and it's not I don't think it's it's definitely not deliberate I just think it's when you've done something night after night it doesn't give you the same impulse it doesn't give you the same Mm. energy anymore and we have to find a way of trying to make that uh, so it is more consistent, really. I can imagine that the, the sort of adrenaline that kicks in, the first night excitement, the, there's a sort, there, is a, there is genuinely an element of danger in some cases. And then I suppose as, as it becomes more and more practised, keeping that edge yeah. is, is very difficult, isn't it? Anybody who's had the misfortune to witness or even be part of a real fight knows it's a horribly dramatic event. And then there's some, there are some very basic um, fight or flight instincts that engage. And I suppose, consequently, the fight scene can be, if it's done well, can be one of the most intense moments of any given play. So is the inherent drama of a fight part of the attraction for you? I, I like storytelling. I don't like fighting. I mean, real fights. I've never been in a real fight. But what I try to do when I'm choreographing is is put it in a place of truth and instinct. So it's like sort of turning on the switch of a light. Yeah, it happens that quickly. In action on stage, it doesn't have to be long, but it has to make an impact. Mm. And what, what you don't want to do in a play, if it's building up to a, a physical conflict, you don't want that to fall flat because it's really disappointing for an audience if you've had this build up, build up, build up, and then suddenly the fight just doesn't deliver. And that is the challenge for a fight director, really. I think you have Tina the musical, which we worked on together. Yeah. yeah. A big fight between Tina and Ike um, at the end of that one. It's pretty much the climax of the first half of the play, and it changes that that moment changes Tina's life, and that's a, a huge sort of pressure on the fight to deliver that moment. And and in that fight, you know, I felt the pressure of telling someone's real life story. Yes, and that person's still alive and was going to be witnessing that. And I felt I felt that pressure. You know, I, I have to do I have to do it justice. And and of course, as a fight director, you're only as good as the ingredients you're given. The actors at the end of the day have to be able to deliver it. I can work really, really hard, but if the actors don't deliver it, then it may not work. Um, and I have to sometimes live with that. There's a considerable crossover between, I mean, fight direction, whatever that is, in isolation, but the crossover with movement and even dance sometimes. And I, I'm thinking, I was thinking while we were preparing for this, uh, of the car chase sequence that you coordinated for Bugsy Malone at the Lyric Hammersmith. And it was clear that you were obviously concerned with so much more than just the punches and the pratfalls. There was, in that case, there was a lot of comic timing required as well. And so it struck me that the director part of your job title is very pertinent, isn't it? Yeah, really, it is. That was a that was a great sequence to do, but it was it was definitely hard. And and I think anybody looking at that wouldn't think a fight director had done that. Do you know what I mean? Or had been mm. a, a a big part of it because it was all done to counts as well. Yeah. Uh, and then not being a a dancer as such, uh, counts are quite difficult for me. So I always get the choreographer to count. Mm. Um, and you know we had the lighting cues on and off, didn't we? So we did, yeah. they had they had to hit. They had to hit on a certain count, so the the lighting cues came on at different moments, and it, it took a really long time to to do. And definitely, there was a crossover of Drew's work and my work on that. And I kind of love that. I kind of love the collaboration of um, not just going into the room and flinging a fight together and then leaving. I kind of like the collaboration of 
working with movement director, fight director. Um, no, I am a fight director. I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, choreographer, yeah. choreographer um, director. You know, it's, it's so much better when um, there's all heads on it together. Uh, I think we'd all agree that collaboration is the key, isn't it, really? That particular sequence, we were all very hands-on because very often we're all sort of working in parallel, even mm. though we're in the room together. But at that point, everything coalesced because sound and light and choreography and fight direction and music were all yes. completely involved you know and uh, yeah. it was it was great fun took a it, few goes to get it right didn't it yeah something like that has to be so exact you know you can't be flimsy on something like that well you shouldn't be flimsy on anything but if something went wrong you could it was glaring do you know what mm, I mean yeah everybody had to be on their on their game for that sequence so do you enjoy choreographing fights to music? I, I, I wouldn't say that it's within my comfort zone. Um, I don't mind music being as an underscore for it, but to yeah. have to do something to count, I think it then looks like a dance. And, right. and although fights are a dance, we're, we, we have to have our own rhythm because we're yeah. telling a very specific story. So whatever the story is and whatever the character's motivation is, that should be coming from inside. That should be um, an instinct. It shouldn't be determined by five, six, seven, eight. And I guess that ties in with opera work as well, because of course opera is all about the music, really. So you, the, the timing of it is dictated by the music, but equally you somehow need to portray the drama of a fight. So yeah, I can I can work within the timing of something, but it's it would be difficult for me to do it like a choreographer, you know, a step to a count, because mm. then I feel like the drama will go out the fight. Yeah, so does that make sort of fights and opera feel a bit more artificial than, than maybe something in a, in a straight yeah. drama? I haven't done a huge amount of opera and it is a real different world, but I think I was lucky on the first opera I did, which was written on skin. It was um, directed by Katie Mitchell, who's very yeah. much a theatre director. Yeah. And those opera singers were really, really up for it. Mm. So... I felt a bit sport the first time I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Do you know, I, th I think the cliche about opera singers is is is, is, a, is not fair. I think I've had I've worked with so many amazing singers who've got great physicality and great sort of stage instinct and stagecraft. I think okay. it's not necessarily true that they just stand down to the centre and sing. So yeah, well, they wouldn't um, be they wouldn't be allowed to do that with Katie Mitchell directing either, would they? That's, they, they have to be able to act. I thought they did brilliantly and mm -hmm. and yes of course I had to be aware that they then had to sing goodness knows what afterwards <laughs> and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know all of that but, but they taught me do you know what I mean and and I could adapt around what their needs were and you know between us we did it and I think they enjoyed the freedom of being able to be that physical within the storytelling so I thought I think it worked really well and then the next opera I did I have a feeling Bruno you might have lipped it was it Don Giovanni? Did you like that? I did Don Giovanni at the, the, the Opera House, yeah. Holton's production. Yes, yeah. I did. I mean, that was my sort of introduction to like huge, huge opera. <laughs> Insane right. world of huge opera. Yeah. I, see, I know what I have to do, but the world around me, I was like, what is this world? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of it's kind of extraordinary to, to, yeah. to watch. It felt a little bit artificial for me. That's the thing about opera, that you do have to rely on the music to tell some of the story. The, the, yeah. The music in the, the in, in the fight scene is, is is kind of driving it forward, and because you work with that, then the slight, I guess, artificiality of the fight doesn't matter because it's the whole thing works yeah. as, as as one. Yeah. So obviously, you work with many many different directors, um, yeah. and how does that relationship work? I imagine it varies a lot, but I mean, what sort of dynamic do you prefer? Oh, the dynamic I prefer is one of collaboration. Over the years, um, I've worked really hard to be part of the room, to be part of the team, because I think sometimes in the past that, you know, a fight director would come in, do their bit and leave. Um, that's not the way that I felt comfortable working. I felt like I, I was a bit of an outsider. Yeah, like so turn up, organise that punch, go away, thanks, done, kind yeah, of thing. Exactly, yeah. So... And, I, and I'm now in a really privileged position because I work with directors over and over again. So the yes. dialogue is there. But you have to build up that trust to start with, because I think sometimes with directors, the fight direction is such an alien world. They feel like they can't have a say. So they sort of sit back or they leave the room and let you get on with it. This is this happened you know, early on in my career. 
And I think that anybody can have an input on fights, actually, because you either believe them or you don't believe them. So I really welcome that in the room. When I'm working, I'll turn around and say, does this work for you? How do you feel about this? And when I'm working with the actors, it's always it's always about collaboration, teamwork. It's I never have a plan. I never have choreographed moves. I know the play inside out and back to front. I have a vision in my head and mm. I would hopefully talk to the director about it and and have an understanding of what that looks like. But I love it when I go in on that first time I'm working with actors and we're discovering it. I feel like a kid again. I mean, I'm even shaking now, trying to remember <laughs> what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> I think what works best for me is us having an understanding of each other's roles and making sure that we're all singing from the same hymn sheet and that I'm fulfilling the vision of the director. It sounds um, like you need, it's one thing to be able to deliver the punch, but it's another thing you have to know why the punch is being thrown in the first place, right? Always. I mean, I've spent the first part of my rehearsal, you know, talking about the fight actually with the actors mm. and the director. And, you know, those conversations are uh, invaluable really because that's our starting point. I don't just go in and grab an actor and start start throwing them around. <laughs> but the discussion has to be there. And I'm also sure the temptation is there sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and then also you what you have to do is get that trust really quickly within the team. But you have to give those actors ownership. So if you say to them, oh, what do you think here? What do you think the first move would be here? How do you feel about this? You know, they're investing in the characters. I'm not investing in the characters. I'm investing in them. And I'm, I'm, what my job is to do is to work within their capabilities and make them look as good as they possibly can and feel brave and trust the work and, um, and tell the story. And how much of what you do is misdirection, like a stage magician? Is the job also about guiding the audience's attention around? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I, I use that a lot. Um, I can give you an example of it, actually. Um, when, please, I did, yeah. uh, when I did Sweat at the Donmar, we had this, um, when I read the play, I mean, it's a fantastic play, but obviously I'm waiting for the fight, which usually happens at the end, and I'm reading it, and I know that the fight's about to come up. And in the play, uh, one of the guys gets hit around the head with a baseball bat. And so my heart sinks when I'm reading it because I'm thinking, how am I going to do this in Donmar on three sides and make that look real? Maybe I won't yeah. have to do that. Maybe I can find something else. And then I read on and I realise what happens to the character at the end. I'm going, I'm going to have to do that. <laughs> and you go into the rehearsal room and I remember sitting down and talking to them and saying, I don't know how I'm going to achieve that moment yet, but I'm not going to worry about it because we may find a way when we get there through the choreography. Mm. Do you know what? They all sort of relaxed and said, oh, yeah, OK. So I had quite a few people in the fight. And um, what I did when I got to that moment, I, I ran someone across the front of the space. I had to have some distraction. I think I threw over a chair as well. So there was all sorts of action going on. So the audience didn't really know where to put their eyes. And the fight mm. was so sort of in your face and messy and scrappy because that's what I love. And I had someone to go behind the bar because they were doing the nap as well with two pieces of wood behind the bar. Yeah, can you and explain, then, sorry, just to interrupt you briefly, can you just explain what a, a nap is? A nap is the sound that we make to give the illusion that contact has been made. Okay. Uh, and obviously we have to do these live on stage. When we do them on camera, they can be put on afterwards. Right. Um, it's a lot easier. I have to say that the sound is the most important thing. It's not yeah. an authentic sound, but people react to sound. Um, if that's not clear and sharp, that attack has no impact. So it's the sound that makes us believe that contact has yeah. happened. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's so important to get it right. And so in that fight, I had all this running around and then this girl went behind the bar to get two pieces of wood to be there ready to do the nap when the impact of the, the bat hit the, the guy's head. It took so long to do, but it happened that quickly. And with the mess going on around it, the next thing you heard, you heard the sound and the guy hit the floor. Honestly, you could have heard a pin drop. Mm. I was sweating. <laughs> on that first preview I mean I feel sick generally on first previews but I you know I literally was sweating it was I mean they were brilliant those actors they invested in it so much and it I it was it was it was great Bruno and I get to watch um fight sequences develop 
um, throughout rehearsals. And frequently they start from something quite labored and obviously premeditated into something that's fluid and apparently spontaneous. Presumably you have to start with a sort of slow-mo version and, and, and then speed up. But I, I'm always interested to how you account for the adrenaline that comes with first performances, because you can choreograph these things with safety and trust in mind. But when the lights first go down and performers first encounter their audience, there's a whole other thing that goes on, isn't there? There's a whole other level that happens of, of adrenaline and excitement. And there must be an inherent risk that things will consequently get out of hand. Yeah, I mean, there's a very fine line between it being right and being wrong. There's, n there's no room for error, really. And that's why we rehearse. Um, mm. And also it's my job, my, my role, to make sure that the actors are so, so comfortable with that piece of mm. action that they, that they are not going to go beyond what they need to do. And I have to, I have to talk to them about that. And I talk to them about it from a very early stage that you take control of the fight. Don't let the fight take control of you. You don't need to. You don't need to add any extra energy onto it. It's already there. It's about giving them the confidence that they've done the work. They just need to tell the story and they've mm. done it. And they've done it in the rehearsal room. I talk about this with them throughout the process. So I don't have a particular time when I do it, you know, like yeah. let's sit down and talk about adrenaline now. It's, it, it, it's an ongoing thing and it's, a, it's, about, it, it's a big part of my job. It's about us all trusting one another and trusting the work and trusting that we can do it and trusting that when we do it, we're going to feel good about it and the audience are going to believe it. A lot of it is about what's going on in your head rather yeah. than the physical side of it. And trust um, in each other and, I guess, confidence in the sequence. And we should also say that yeah. um, all shows with fights, they do a rehearsal of the fight every day, don't they, before they go on stage. Yeah, they're the fight course, yeah. They're, it can become a counterproductive exercise because as you get on in a run, it can, be, it can be a bit lazy and that's what goes into the show. It's about sort of always trying to keep them excited about what they're doing. So do you go back and um, re-rehearse fights on a long-running show? Yes, I generally, I will get called in if things are getting a little bit, you know, not looking right or someone's got hurt last night. You know, I'll read the yeah. show report and if someone, there was a little bit of an accident, then I'll, I'll, I'll come in or I'll talk to the stage management about it. So there, there's a continued dialogue. So could you teach anyone, uh, James, for example, to throw a convincing and safe punch? <laughs> yeah, easily. And Bruno, you'd have to react, okay? Yes. Okay. I mean, a, a, a standalone punch, um, I could easily teach you. And in fact, when we're next in the rehearsal room, we should just do it. Okay. Um, but a standalone punch doesn't ever really work on stage because it looks so set up. It would probably be more tricky to teach you scuffling and fighting beforehand and then a punch came out of that. Mm. And so that's where the skill is. I could easily get you standing there. You could throw a punch with a nap and you could react. So mm. the challenge would be to have you both and we put a little scuffle together and out of that comes a big move. This sounds like well, we're going to have... will, will be on YouTube soon. I was going to say, there's going to be a YouTube edition of this podcast. Before like a designer's fight. <laughs> so it sounds, it sounds to me like there's a lot of things going on. It's not just the choreography of the actors. There's the sound as a huge amount to contribute to a convincing fight. There's this misdirection yeah. thing where you're guiding the audience's yeah. attention away from the, the tricky aspects. And I was just remembering uh, years and years ago, I, I was very impressed watching a Trevor Nunn's Troilius and Cresta in the Olivier and I think it was Malcolm okay. Ranson who'd, who'd arranged several full-scale battles on stage and there was a lot of large soldiers apparently hitting each other very hard with swords and in my memory the ground was actually shaking but they can't have been hitting each other that hard uh, so presumably when everything works the effect is just suggestive of impact and shaking ground and our brains are kind of filling in the gaps. Yeah that's exactly it that is exactly it it's not about strength and power it's about it's, it's about movement and it's about physical storytelling and it's about problem solving. That's the best part of it. That, mm. I love that part of it. I love that. I love the problem solving of it. Um, mm. and, and there's always a problem to solve. We talked a bit about the acts of making nap sounds themselves, but do you also work with sound designers to cue sounds um, or do you try and, or do you like the actors to keep control of it? 
I've, I've never really worked really closely with a sound designer. I love it when, um, you know, like if they're sort of underscore and it's aiding the fight, but it's not taking over the fight. Um, and sometimes it can be the opposite. So it, it's really difficult if there's all this sound or there's all this underscore then it's really difficult for actors to fight against that. Do you know right. what I mean? It makes us look really small. So good sound designers will will realise that. And do you know what? Sometimes I barely notice it. And it's just doing something that is just helping the story along and helping us a bit. And I love that. I absolutely love that. What about props? Do you do you relish the blood bags and the fake glass bottles and the retracting blades? And, and do you get involved with the design and application of these? Yeah, certainly I do get involved um, because obviously we've got to use them. Someone can't just turn up and give me a spade and expect me to use it. You know, the weight has to be right. Everything about the prop has to be right. The blood is good. That's always a good one because we have to make sure that we plant it somewhere on the actor or we the actor can pick up a blood bag in the fight and and it's you know it's another piece of choreography that i've got to put in my choreography so it's good if we practice it before the tech <laughs> <laughs> so i mean i've learned that through experience like uh, could we have a blood rehearsal one day so that it's all done and we're not taking up a huge amount of tech yeah. time there's always that conversation where the director's saying, we need more blood, and the, and the wardrobe department's saying, we can't get that washed every night. If you're going to use blood in a show, then you have to use it throughout the show. If you're mm. not going to use blood, then don't use it at all, and people will just use their imaginations. Those are your two choices. You can't just use blood once yeah. and then not use it with everything else if there are several killings. Yeah. But yeah, the, the blood bags are always interested or putting a blood bag on an actor. And then, of course, you've got a fight. So I'm then worried about the blood bag. Exploding early. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So all of those things, we've really got to discover that in rehearsal. And so those are discussions that I have like quite early on. Are you thinking about having blood here? Yeah, I remember I was doing a production of Carmen in, in Bregenz Opry, the big scale thing on the lake. And we had blood bags in that for... Um, a guy being shot in the chest and and they worked it out and it looked pretty spectacular it was a lot of blood but it had this incredibly complicated system the director said why doesn't he just like clutch his chest and burst the bag himself because then he the actor's got yeah. complete control and the technical team were going no 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 we can't do it that way we're going to have this whole system of um, midi triggered cues where we put a little trigger in the gun that's going to fire a radio signal that's going to make the blood bag explode, et cetera, et cetera. So we've got this unbelievably complicated system, which, which kind of worked until the day when they rehearsed it and the actor forgot to put the blood bag on. And so oh, sat in the dressing room backstage was his costume with the blood bag. Blood all over the dressing room. It was really quite spectacular. <laughs> we did, I did have a blood expert come in when I did uh, the Lieutenant of Anishmore and we had blood exploding from the walls and all of that sort of stuff. And that he was really interesting to, yeah. to work with, actually. But most of the time it's actors uh, and Bursting me. Bursting yeah. yeah. So do you have a preferred fighting prop? I don't know, fist, sword, knives, frying pans, guns? Do you have... <laughs> I'll fight with anything. <laughs> it's like a playground for me when I go in. I'm like, what toys have I got to play with? Yeah. I mean, the danger is that you can put too much in, you know, um, but the most important thing is your body, isn't it? Because that's what's expressing the story. So even if I've got a sword in my hand, if I'm not expressing from the toes up, then the sword fight won't work. It's about what I do with my body. So anyone can stand there and wave a sword around, but it's how how I'm expressing through my body will give the impression that that sword is dangerous. So... You're involved in, in each show for a short, intense time. You said that earlier that you get generally more time than you used to and you have a longer collaborations now, which is great. But you appear at certain moments in the rehearsal room and then again in the tech and then usually for, for previews and, and notes and, and up until press night mainly. Mm-hmm. But in order to survive financially, that means you must be constantly juggling numerous productions at the same time. So can you give us a glimpse of how many shows you do and how you manage that? So when I first started, I kind of did everything I needed to do because obviously I was really trying to earn a living from it. And it is quite tricky, actually. Yeah. So I could be doing anything up to probably 30 shows a year. But that it would be dependent on what that show required. Do you know what I mean? Because, you know, like something like Romeo and Juliet is going to require the fight director in a lot more yes than um you know something that just has one little scuffle in it now I kind of probably will be doing about 20 I would say 
because I have the TV work now, that's mm. that kind of help financially. So I kind of try to mix the two together. But I would definitely have a couple of shows rehearsing at the same time. So as one is um, going up, the other one could then just be going into tech. But I have to be a little bit careful because obviously if I've got, you know, shows with big fights in them and require me to... Um, be in a lot I have to be careful with my scheduling because I've got to make sure that I fulfill the the contract and I fulfill what I need to do on that show so I I'm careful with my scheduling and and also sort of like try to give myself time off as well mm. um, I know. It's, the, it's the constant juggle trying to work out how to balance yeah. all that's life isn't it yeah totally yeah so that's kind of how it works you must spend a lot of time in different tech rehearsals, different directors' tech rehearsals. Do you have a sense of what makes a good tech rehearsal and what makes a bad one? What I have learned over the years, um, for you guys, it's your rehearsal period uh, because you you can't do it in the rehearsal room, whereas That's everything right. I do can be done in the rehearsal room. So when I walk into a tech, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that they're never going to be on time for me. So I bring lots of snacks. <laughs> <laughs> Actually... <laughs> It's always nice to see you to pop in and, um, <laughs> and have a snack with a bag of sweets. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I kind of like know that that's, that's the situation and I have to roll with it, really. There's no yeah. point making a, a big fuss and saying I've got to be here and I've got to be there. If I've been asked to come in for this session, then I'm going to be in for that session. And whether I get to the fight or I don't get to the fight, then that's... That's kind of life. Um, it's a bit like um, filming as well. You can sit around for a long, long time. And then sometimes I turn up and you're like, we're ready for you, Kate. And I'm like, oh, wow. And I have to get my coat off. And, <laughs> and start, yeah. Start, yeah. So, yeah. Do you think generally producers and creative teams give you the time you need? Um, I'd love more time always, but I think we'd all say that, wouldn't we? Yeah. Um, it is difficult. Um, and sometimes I do have to fight for it um, and say, look, no, we did you need to give me the time in the rehearsal room. This isn't ready yet. Um, and I think I've got better at that. I think I've got better at, you know, saying what I need. And I have got better at using the time efficiently as well. You know, if I've got, if you give me half an hour, I'll get it done in half an hour. Yeah, I mean, time is always an issue, but I think it's I think it's that for everybody. Cinema fighting, of course, has evolved in some films beyond all reality. You know, it's sort of spectacular choreographed sequences that I think we're all expecting and very, very used to seeing in films, you know, totally unreal, impossible fights. Does that give a pressure to deliver more spectacular thrills to an audience? I think it might. I think it does a bit, actually. But I try not to feel that pressure because stage is so different to 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 film and I think an audience coming to see a show a live experience shouldn't expect the same thing that yeah. they get from a screen yeah I'm always looking to make my fights as realistic as I possibly can um, and that again is just always going back to the story and mm. the motivation of the characters I can't leave anything alone if I don't believe it I really it really bothers me do you know what I mean yeah. I go home and think about it and I'm constantly thinking about how I can make that better when I'm first choreographing I'll probably over choreograph because I'm trying to get so much story in there um, mm. and then what I'll do is I'll trim it back because I know yeah. it's too much mm. and sometimes just like a single move can be as shocking you know as a full-on fight so yeah. the, the important thing is is to keep the audience engaged you can't um, indulge yourself in it do you ever worry that you romanticise or glamorise violence with your work? I've never worried about that, no. 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 <laughs> uh, uh, should I? Should I start worrying about that? <laughs> in, in cinema, it's very, sometimes very glamorous. Yeah. I'm not really sure where I'm going with that. It was more a provocation than anything else. So, no, I've, not, I've never really worried about it. And, um, well, I, that's the I, answer. I, <laughs> there we go. Yeah, that's, that's, that's probably good. <laughs> I kind of always think, well, I've, I've just got to go for truth we have three responses when we're in threat fight flight or freeze and I use them and we can use them at any given time within 10 seconds even and what I love about fights is when things go wrong actually most of us aren't trained fighters so you know you if someone puts you in a headlock you're probably going to do the wrong thing to try and get out of it and mm. that's what I find quite interesting so I'm looking for the sort of mistakes that we make and try to get that into my choreography so it always just comes back down to story and what we yeah. would do in real life. So what's the best stage fight you've ever seen and why? Is there something that stands, sticks in your mind? 
I can't watch anything without it being, if I'm watching someone else's fight, I want to be, um, but I, I can't watch it without having a, a critical eye on it. Yeah. 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 But I do remember one, and it was even before I, it was when I was a student, and, um, it, and I went to see Company at the Donmar um, with Adrian Lester in. That was that. Mm production and I don't know if you remember but there's a there's this it's a great it's a funny fight and the the woman is taking um do being taken martial art lessons and she sort of basically takes on her husband and yeah. I remember it was Clive Rowe um mm -hmm. who, uh, and it, I don't know it made me laugh it was funny they did it really well and I just remember that um I just remember that fight but mm. I think that the fights that I really enjoy to watch is when I don't recognise the that it's been choreographed. And and sometimes, you know, like even if I'm watching my own fights, when I don't recognise it anymore, yeah, that's when I know it's working. Mm. Yeah. It's so much in the actor's body and in the story that it just yeah. feels completely yeah. natural. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't feel like mine anymore. So that's really nice. Yeah. Looking at the photos on your website uh, yesterday, it struck me that there's a lot of contact involved in your work. That, that must be very difficult given the current pandemic. Yeah. But yeah. you have been very busy on the freelancers, freelance task force for the last few months yeah. and have been representing the heads of freelancers at the National Theatre. Uh, have you gained an insight in how these big organisations run? Yeah, it's, it's definitely been new territory for me. And I felt it was important to... Um, represent fight directors during this period. So yeah, I applied for um, a few theatres to see if I could get on the task force. I didn't get on a couple of them. And then I just thought, oh, well, I'll just go for the National Theatre. And, and I got on that one. It's been a really interesting um, few months on it, actually. I didn't really know what my role was, so I kind of made my role up. The initiative was a great idea, but when you suddenly get 150 people all in one room together, all coming from very different backgrounds with very different skill sets at very different stages in their career. It was difficult to find where I sat and what to do. So I thought the best thing for me to do as the NT was sponsoring me was to sort of serve the NT freelancers. So that's why I created this newsletter, which I tried to put out on a weekly basis. And yes. I just put myself into as many industry talks as I possibly could so I could feed back to the freelancers and let mm. them know what was going on. That sort of communication is something until this pandemic we didn't really get. That's mm -hmm. and and also it's it's been really interesting how organisations like freelancers make theatre work have mm -hmm. brought together um, groups of freelancers and also the associations. You know, associations of light designers, sound designers, and other associations are forming like um, costume and wardrobe yeah, and and change. other groups that, as, and scene change. It's it's been really interesting, really powerful that we're all yeah. trying to get together and. Um, collaborate and collaborate have a exactly We've not really had a voice before we're all so sort of our, our our lives are so transient um so the thing that i've learned i've definitely learned how organizations work a bit yeah. more you know what i mean i've come out of my fight bubble and it's been great having these conversations and have an understanding about actually um although we're in the rehearsal room doing what we do there's a whole army of people making sure that that can happen do you know yes. and we don't yeah. even see their work it's invisible to us mm. and I think what it has done um, if anything this pandemic has um, given us an open dialogue and a communication that we've never had before yes. so um, I've, I hope that that continues because it will be a shame to lose that um, and go back to to what it was because I think People have realised that we are the workforce. You know, there's mm. 300,000 of us and we're, we all fell off a cliff in March and we all fell off together and the organisations did as well. So we either scramble back up together or we don't. And I think we should scramble back up together with sort of compassion and kindness and listening to one another and making change for the better. I think the NT, just because I've had a connection with them, are really wanting to support the workforce. I feel that they really are trying to make ways to get us back into the building to work. And obviously it's going to be different and obviously it's going to be slow. And obviously not everybody's going to be employed at once. We just have to try and sort of celebrate what people are trying to do to get an mm. audience back in, to, to see live theatre again. And keep working towards getting back to 
making shows making shows and doing what we love to do and not, stories, yeah. not and not apologizing for it i think that that's the thing that i have kind of learned is that i'm never ever again i'm going to apologize or justify what i do for a living <laughs> um because well we've all worked really hard no one was given a gold ticket into this industry you you have to work for it mm. you know after 20 years of sort of doing it i'm not prepared to um give up on it because i love it and there are parts of the industry that need to be better of course but when push comes to shove if someone said to me i can't be a fight director anymore i can't create anymore then that leaves me feeling very empty inside and i think that you know just having these conversations and i've listened to a few of your podcasts which are really good and i thought oh my goodness i didn't know that about chris i wondered why he go he went and sat on different seats in the- <laughs> <laughs> do you yeah. know what i mean so it's just having a little bit more understanding about what we all do yeah um, rather than being in our own bubbles and and this is about conversation and i think also as freelancers i think we need to be braver if things aren't quite right and say and mm. perhaps join together a little bit more and not feel so alone in in something that might be not quite right for you in the workplace. Mm, Um, And I feel like that perhaps that's what organisations could do, is that there's a safe place for us to go and communicate that. So you're in the working class subgroup for the Freelancers Task Force. What do you think the industry can do to open up opportunities for those with less affluent backgrounds? And I think particularly in backstage and sort of director design and creative roles. I've been thinking about this and, um, you know, I'm very aware that if this had happened to me 10 years ago, I probably wouldn't be able to have sustained it. I've got a fighting chance that I I might go back as a fight director, you know, but that's just because um, I'm further on in my career and I'm financially more stable. It's not going to last forever. So, but yeah, um, I'm wondering whether now the working class subgroup, we are actually compiling a survey I know another one it's quite important the data actually because it's we don't have it so we don't know what people's backgrounds are or where they've come from or how they've managed to get into the industry Mm. I'm really wondering whether um, you know it's perhaps people like us that could give people opportunities you know whether that just and that organizations help us to give people opportunities like by having people assist you or shadow you or something like that or give them a hand into the industry when I've had assistance I've paid them out of my own wage now I'm not going to be in a position to do that when I get back to work and I'm just wondering whether there's a way that organizations could help apprenticeships of some sort or some sort of apprenticeships because it's someone like Jonathan who gave his time freely to me um, and without him I'm not sure where I would have been. So I think I think that perhaps we, you know, we have to make sure that uh, the industry is inclusive and is available for everybody, despite background and despite financial stability. And the yeah. thing that I fear the most is that people that will survive this pandemic are the ones that can afford to survive it. I think it's really important that the industry opens out to a much wider group of people rather than, yeah. and there's a real danger that the situation community could close in and we need to avoid that. Yeah. And I think we all have a part to play. A culture is so important, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I, I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of done with Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> I do know. I've just got through the whole shit's Creek, which is pretty fantastic. Oh yeah, but... that is good, isn't it? We've just started that actually, but yeah. no, I'm definitely <laughs> missing live experience. Yeah, you know, definitely. Whether that be sport or, uh, music or uh, you know all of those things that where we're having a shared experience with them yeah absolutely since so, you yeah. mentioned sport we can't finish without mentioning the fact that you're actually a fighter in real life because you've taken up competitive boxing now Kate is this life imitating art <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, no it's I mean like I, I I've always been involved in sort of uh, combat sports I did judo from the age of seven right. um, but yeah no boxing I got into and actually Bruno you were on this show from here to eternity yes and I went fights and that like are you talking your favorite fights I love some of the fights in that I think yeah. it was so so well put together and combination of fighting and choreography was was stunning yeah. yeah so basically I didn't really know enough about boxing so I took myself off to a boxing gym to do some research 
which is the other part of my gym. You can't, a job you can't just sort of blag it if you don't know anything about <laughs> it. <laughs> I thought, no. Oh, if and only. I, yeah, and I just really, really loved it. And um, then decided that, oh, I might just do it for exercise and started doing it for exercise. And uh, I've actually just retired from competitive fighting. But, I, yeah, I did 13 fights. Um, and I'm now a boxing coach. So mm, I'm a really? boxing coach now. So, yeah, I really enjoy it. In fact, um, you've, offered to, you've offered to give lessons. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing a few. Um... In fact, didn't you give Chris Shutt a lesson? Yeah, he's been a few times actually. He loves it. He really loves <laughs> it. Um, so yeah, I just thought, well, that's something I can offer because you know, while everybody else was stockpiling on loo rolls and pasta, I bought myself a punch bag and uh, various <laughs> other gym equipment for the lockdown period. <laughs> but listen, I'm just imagining. So we're back at the Making Theatre podcast party, and now everybody's had too much of the fruit punch because I saw Bruno secretly tipping in another bottle of something before. And now everyone's getting a bit leery, and things are getting out of hand. I'm going to stand behind you. <laughs> <laughs> but in, in all serious, does does a knowledge of boxing or self defence change the way you present to the world, or has it changed the way you present to the world? Uh, yeah, I feel like I could I could handle myself, but without really having to throw something. Mm. that yeah. makes sense um yeah. so my husband and I we were at the bus stop with our shopping bags one day and there was a altercation happening over the other side of the road with a young man and a sort of middle-aged uh, woman and they were really going for it um, and I was watching it and suddenly it became taking notes <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> no, I have done that as well actually <laughs> That's a good move. Could you do that again, please? And it suddenly very quickly became physical where they were shoving each other. Um, it didn't last very long. And then he put her in a headlock. And it was at that point, I didn't even think about it. I ran across the road and it wasn't just me. So I don't want to put myself down as some kind of superhero. But I got in between them and I, it was all a bit scrappy. It was over really, really quickly. And I pushed them away and, and, and other people came in as well. And we sort of diffused it. When I went back across the road, my husband said, where have you been? <laughs> I didn't even notice. Brilliant. So, yeah, I, I feel like, going back to your original question, I do feel like I, I'm confident enough to sort of handle myself, but I wouldn't want to put myself in a situation where I felt uncomfortable. We had to. Yeah, yeah. I had to, yeah. I think it's time for the quick fire round, Bruno. I think it is. You go first. It's okay, it's a special question for you. Yeah. Swarmer or outboxer? A bit of both. Yeah, I like to put pressure on. I, I like to pressurise the boxer, but I'm also really quick on my feet. So, okay. so a I'm bit not... of both. <laughs> I have no <laughs> idea what any of that means. But moving on, it's quick fires. Don't explain. <laughs> I can look it up. <laughs> I'll be Googling swarmer after we finish. Um, what is your favourite part of the process? Uh, the very first rehearsal that um, that I do, um, because it's that sort of discovering um, the, the beginnings of the fight and the collaboration between the actors and the director and making making the moves up as we go along. Yeah, first steps. Interesting. First steps, yeah. Plays or musicals? Plays. What's your favourite tool? Um, me. <laughs> <laughs> because without my body then um, it doesn't work. So yeah, I don't mean that arrogantly. I just mean that, you know, my body has to work to, to be able to do my job. So yeah. Town or country? A bit of both actually. What would you do if the industry went away? Well, you mentioned that you wouldn't know what you do, but um, <laughs> I'm asking you to say, <laughs> think of something. It isn't funny though, because, you know, we have, I mean, I have had these thoughts in my head and, um, well, I think there are three things um, I'd quite like to do. I think I'd like to be a paramedic, but that involves, I have looked into it and it involves three years training. So I'm not going to go there, I don't think. I'd like to, and I think I would also like to be a, a police person, but on a horse. Yeah, the action. Yeah. yeah. Do you um, ride? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do ride, actually. Yeah. Failing that, I reckon I'd open a boxing gym. Yeah. <laughs> you got options then. <laughs> I've got options. But I'd much rather go back to being a fight director. Rumble in the jungle or bubbly on the South Bank? Oh, rumble in the jungle every time. <laughs> <laughs> 
Very good. James off the bar, what can he get you? Um, could I have a glass, a nice glass of Shiraz and a packet of cheese and onion crisps, please? <laughs> On its I'm way. I'm sure you can. <laughs> Kate, thank you very much. It's been lovely talking to you. Oh, thank it's you. been great, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you once again to Kate for giving up her time to talk to us. As ever, if you have any questions, comments or even ideas for future episodes, you can contact us on Instagram or Twitter at Making Theatre FM or if you prefer, by email on makingtheatrepodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your favourite podcast platform and leave us a glowing review. Until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.